Uh, my name's Devin, like I said earlier, and we are in the midst of a series on toxic thoughts. I'm part of the teaching team, which means that I get to spend some time around these wonderful people learning and getting to convey some ideas about God. And so for the last three weeks, we've been talking about toxic thoughts, those things that send you into a spiral, those things, those thoughts that you spend time with. Uh, and hopefully, I mean, we all end up with childhood trauma, right? This child's going to, if imagine a child went through that and they're like, my dad told me I wasn't special, but I was special and just has to deal with that. And some way, shape, or form. Um, and we've talked through a couple of things. One, the first week was about that feeling of just not being loved or not being cared about by anyone and like just wanting to do that one thing so eventually you're cared about, which is what all advertising is essentially. Um, that once you do that one thing, it's all going to be okay, right? And then the second week was about um, feeling like that feeling of our brokenness and whether or not you have hid your head in the sand on this for some time or for a lot of time or no time at all, we all know on the inside that there's something messed up about us and you wonder, will I ever get better? Will things ever get better? And the answer on the first week or the idea to think about is that if you look at the span of time, if you looked at the, the people who God chose and the way God chose them and what Jesus said about all of us, through the whole biblical story, we are all chosen and loved. And that's a thing that we can accept as a gift. And in that second week, we talked about how, yes, the world is messed up and there are things inside of us that we desperately want to be different. And that is why Jesus came. But we can acknowledge that and we can have compassion for ourselves. We can have compassion for others and we can accept the blessing of living in God's kingdom. It's just a different way to, to move through the world. And so this third week, uh, we're going to talk about a different toxic thought. And to do that, I'm going to introduce my children, uh, these wonderful, beautiful people. These are not toxic thoughts. These are the best things, the, the second, third, fourth, and fifth best things in my life, the other one sitting over there. Um, but occasionally, they push my buttons, uh, which happened last week, uh, because my dearest wife was off teaching piano lessons, which is great and wonderful, and she can go off and be a human being and just like exist outside of caring for these, these four little schmuckles. And so that means I was making dinner. You're making dinner, and you make all the dinner, and then you say, TV time's over, come sit down at the table. And they all sit down at the table, and they've had a big day, and they've watched TV, and they've done all these things. They have things that they want to say, right? All four of them have things they want to say, and so they are saying all of the things all at once. And they're at the point in their lives where they can't understand how not to interrupt yet. I feel like the big ones should be getting there. I know it's not, like... They're on the path. They're on the path is what I have to remind myself. But that night, I did, uh, you're like kind of white knuckling it through those conversations, right? You've had enough of them throughout the course of the, your day where you've had to hold it together and be patient with somebody else. By the end of like the fourth or fifth time you get it interrupted, you're like, can you please hold on for a second? How would you like it if your brother interrupted you? I am trying to hear your sister say what she wants to eat so that I can feed her. And then I will listen to your story because I am interested, I promise, but I can't hear all of you at once. You can sense where this is going. So we keep going down this path. And then poor Gabriel, this one, the goon, who is the middle child, he does that thing that I imagine many middle children do, which is to escalate the situation until they get noticed. And so I'm like grabbing food for the one girl and I have my eyes locked on her eyes and I'm like, what would you like to eat? And I hear from over here, Papa, 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 Papa! Like the kind of thing that you're just like, ah! <laughs> you're trying to escalate this and I know you're not hurting. And so I turn to him and I say, Gabriel, I, am, I want to listen to you, but right now you need to shut your mouth. And he looks me dead in the eyes and he goes, zip. 
just like a moment straight out of Bluey. And I apologize later because that is not how I want our relationship to be. Um, it was not great. And then other people maybe got yelled at that night too. So uh, <laughs> all that to say, there are times when you get to that point where you've done something like you know that you shouldn't have done that was not helpful, not kind, right? And for me, um, in the past, thankfully, it's been a lot better. And we'll talk about the hope that, that there is um, that makes it better as we go through this story. Um, but in the past, I spiral from those kinds of things. And you think, like, these are the people that I love the most and that theoretically I should be the best with. And, like, am I, I'm hurting them, like, by actively being, or, like, I'm making their lives worse. Like, you go down that spiral. And then you say things like this to yourself, which is, like, the most, the worst version of it. If we can put the words up on the screen. There are words. Yes, the world would be better without me. And to be clear... This is a very dark thought, right? I don't know if any of you have been here, and I want to differentiate now between toxic thoughts, which is what we're talking about now, and dangerous thoughts. If you are in dangerous thoughts, please get help from somebody. Pastors Taylor and Stephanie have a whole list of resources. They're more than happy to chat with you and get you with somebody who can really help. So this is a dark question. We're going to move quickly away from this one because... But it's the thing that we all wrestle with at some point, right? Like you've messed up. You've done something that has actively made the world a worse place, a thing that you didn't want to do. And like, would the world be better without me? Would this situation be better without me? Would this relationship be better without me? Would this job be better without me? And then you ask, will I ever matter? Like, you've, you've had somebody tell you, even when you haven't messed up, you have people who just ignore the things that you do indicate that, like, maybe we don't even care if you're here, right? You've been in those relationships and those situations, those jobs, where it doesn't seem like you matter. And all of us feel like we matter, right? We want, we're meaning-making machines as human beings, as somebody once put it. We want things to matter desperately. Like, when you wake up in the morning, not many of us think up and are like, this day will be completely meaningless, Let's go, right? <laughs> Nothing matters. Let's go. Like that is not the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning. The thing that gets you out of bed is like there's this thing and it's going to mean something. It's going to mean something to me. It's going to mean something to somebody else. And I imagine that all of us have asked this in some way, shape, or form and have had the other side of it reinforced to us in whatever relationship or situation that is. And if you broaden that out to uh, like a cosmic sense, you also end up asking the question, does any of this matter? Uh, if you let, stretch your arms out like this and imagine that this length is time, all of recorded time, right? From the Big Bang all the way out to now and you shave off the tiniest bit of a fingernail, that is all of human history, poof, gone, done. That's it. And that is how, like, to put it in cosmic sense, how much of an impact we are having on the all of it. And eventually, if you stretch it out far enough, and I've spent maybe more time with this thought than is healthy, but, like, dust and entropy will get us eventually, right? If you've ever read Isaac Asimov, there's this whole thing about how all of, all of time and space and matter will eventually grind down. The suns will go out. It will be dark, black, nothingness. Becky's laughing in the front. Thank God there's somebody who can chuckle about that one. That's not me on the inside. I'm like, oh, that's a, that's a serious thought. Um, so you then question, does any of this matter? And maybe you've like managed to miss that question. Thank, I uh, apologize. That's my gift to you for the morning, dust and entropy. 
It's all going to slow down. It's all going to go dark. But then you ask yourself, does this matter? Do the things that are happening today matter? Does me getting up and feeding myself matter? Does me going down and being kind to somebody matter? Or can I just do what I want because it like it's all finite and it's all going to go poof and it's all so short anyway. And this is a question that humanity has been asking itself, that we've been asking of ourselves, have been, have, have been asking of each other, have been asking of God for millennia, because none of these things are new. Like we're all remarkably similar, right? We have some of those things that we want, we want it to matter. And so I'm going to read a little bit from Ecclesiastes 2. And Ecclesiastes was written, as best we can tell, by Solomon, who was the wisest man in history by all accounts. And he's asking the question here. He's, this, this whole book is asking this question, essentially. And I'm just going to read a bit from Ecclesiastes 2. Uh, and it's an interesting parallel from last week, where David, Solomon's father, laid out some of these thoughts. Like, he was a very clear... Um, author, somebody who can communicate through 3,000 years of time and have it kind of strike us potentially. And so his son, I imagine, got some of those gifts from his dad. And here's what he had to say as he's asking the questions, trying to live out the questions. I said to myself, come now, I will test with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to me meaningless. He's hunting for meaning here. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind's still guiding me with wisdom. He's like, I drunk a lot. But it was for research. It was for research, guys. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. So I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. Great civic things. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female, female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. And then he goes into verse, which would be better in Hebrew, but I don't have that, so you're just going to get me reading English. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and yet, and this was the reward for my, all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And so that was like, we're not going to leave it there. We're not going to wrap that for today. This is, but you question, right? Like all the things that you do, the things that you make, the work that you put in, um, the things that you have, is, does it have meaning? And his answer was, well, it's meaningless. We're going to go a little bit further though. And we're going to go to what the New Testament says about this. And Solomon um, was living the question, right? He was living with God at like trying to find through faith. And if you read the rest of Ecclesiastes, there's a lot more there. So I encourage you to do that at some point. But we're going to jump to the New Testament and to someone who probably felt this as well. And to set the stage, um, in Jesus' ministry, he had these 12 disciples, right? And lived life with them for a number of years. And then he was crucified, and a number, and all of those disciples deserted him, right? And there was one in particular who said, I will never desert you. I'm never going to walk away from you. And his name was Peter. Spoiler alert, he did. 
He ran with the rest of the disciples when Jesus got arrested, and then uh, Jesus had prophesied that he would deny him three times before the end of the day. He did that, like went to the courtyard, got kind of close to Jesus, but then denied ever having known him. And Jesus like looks at him at one point. He's like, I did the thing. And then Jesus comes back to life. And that is a pivotal moment. But it's also a moment where not all of the disciples knew what was going to happen next. Like, why does this matter? What is going to happen to me specifically, especially if I've screwed up so badly? Like I said, I was going to be with him for all time. What's that relationship going to look like for me moving forward? Am I just out? Uh, What does this mean for me? And so Jesus at this point has appeared to the disciples a couple of times, but you can imagine Peter being in the state of just not knowing feeling a little bit of despair, feeling really lost. Um, Like, what meaning did those things have? What meaning did it have for me? I see that Jesus is alive, and clearly that's an amazing thing, but I don't get it yet. And so that's where we're going to pick up the story. And so afterward, uh, in John 21, if you want to follow along. So afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. And Simon, being a fisherman, was like, I'm going to go out fish, he told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing, which is, sounds terrible. Early in the morning, so you spend all night fishing, and you're done in the morning. Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, this is John writing, and that's how he refers to himself, so he doesn't say, yeah, and then I. Um, John, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. I got it now. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer, outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing that full net of fish, uh, not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. So Jesus had made breakfast for these guys, and he said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. So just recounting the miraculousness of all of this. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. So Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. So it's now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And in all of this, um, when they had finished eating, now they get to the conversation part, right? And Simon, you can imagine, is Simon Peter is just kind of on edge this whole time, trying to figure out, like all of them are trying to figure out what's next, who am I, like what, what's going to happen here? And Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me the most? And if you know um, Jesus' teaching, uh, you'll remember the question that he asked of somebody who was saying, like, "What, what are the best things in life? What is the first and greatest commandment Jesus poses to him? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your mind. This is where he's headed with this. And Simon says, yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. You can imagine like somewhere between like, I'm having to repeat myself or like a kind of shame-faced, like I did the wrong thing and I understand why you're asking me this a couple of times because I've demonstrated that I didn't listen the last few times. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, 
do you love me? And he goes on to say, and Peter was hurt. So he's like a little frustrated maybe at this point. And if you look at Peter's life over time, this is a dude who had anger issues. Maybe he chopped a dude's ear off in a, in a moment of rage. Um, and he said, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. I imagine maybe it was delivered with a little bit of like, oh, but do you know? And Jesus responded, feed my sheep. And to put that in parallel, to just set them right side by side, going back to that first and greatest commandment, Jesus had taught all of his, all of his teaching in life that the two things that you needed to do were love God and love people. And he's compressing them into one here, at least in my estimation, into one thing, which is if you want to love God, if you want to love me, if you want to love the Father who I'm connected to, what you need to do is feed my sheep. And there's a lot of different ways you can take that. But if you didn't know, Jesus, like the common metaphor for people, us is sheep. Um, and Jesus as shepherd, right? That he's taking care of us and that he wants us to have the good things that a shepherd can get sheep to that they may not be able to find for themselves because sheep aren't the brightest. And the shepherd can see more. He knows where the good grass is. He knows where the water is. And so Jesus wants Peter to go and feed his sheep, to take care of other people. And another really great writer um, that I appreciate is C.S. Lewis, who wrote The Chronicles of Narnia, those children's books, but he was also a very deep theological, like those are deep theological works as well, but he wrote some really good works. And this is a quote that has stuck with me for a long time, so I'm just going to read it to you. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, dust, right? And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. It's all meaningless, but it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors, horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn, though, to be serious all the time and to think there's so much weight on every moment. If I don't communicate with this person the right way, then I'm screwed them up for eternity. That's God's job. We must play, but our merriment must be that, be of that kind, and it is, in fact, the merriest kind, which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. No flippancy with other people, no superiority, assuming that you're better than them, and no presumption about where they are and what they want to do. There's a lot more there. I encourage you to, to read as much C.S. Lewis as, as you like and can stomach. But all of that says the way um, Jesus talked to Peter, the way C.S. Lewis frames this reinforces to me, and I hope it reinforces to you that you matter. Like the whole point of history is for each of us to have a chance to meet God and to have that choice to be close to him or not and to reflect that to each other. And there's a lot of different ways that you can look at that. Um, and as the opening video said, none of us are superior to each other. You're not special. But in a way that says you're not more special than anybody else. Um, but you are special to God. And you can be special to the people around you. And on the other side of that, if you look at it from the other way, we matter. You can help other people see that they matter. You can treat them as if they matter. Not with a like, really solemn aspect, right? But with merriment, with joy, with the opportunity to reflect what God is like to other people around you. And at our best, we can make each other feel valued and seen and loved and worthy in the way that Jesus did for Peter. He forgave him. 
is the end of that. And he said, it's real simple, Peter. Feed my sheep. Focus on the thing that you can do next. You don't have to prove it. This is not a thing that we have to prove, but it is an opportunity that we have. And in some ways, in many ways, the way that we show that we're actually with God, that we care about him, is to care about other people. And the guy who wrote the book that I'm pulling a lot of these ideas from, have pulled a lot of these ideas from, is a guy called Henry Nouwen, and he wrote a book called The Life of the Beloved. I encouraged everybody in the first week, if you want to, you can read that book and get uh, better, even better concepts than I have, and you'll be like, Devin, why didn't you just read the book on stage? So I hope this was helpful as a companion piece to that. Um, but this quote, I just love it so much. And Henry Nouwen says, we become beautiful people when we give what we can give. A smile, a handshake, a kiss, an embrace, a word of love, a present, a part of our life, all of our life. And I want to make a differentiation here that he does in the book between talents and gifts. There are the things that we're really good at. Uh, The folks up here who are playing music today, they've got a talent for music. They are able to understand chords and uh, notes and all sorts of different things that some of the rest of us may not be able to understand. There are people who have talents for accounting and fishing and all those things. But as finite human beings, we have a finite number of talents, right? There's only so much gray matter up there that we can run the software on, and we're born with the things that we have. Um, But the gifts, and this is the point that I want you to remember here, is that gifts are things that all of us share, and they're the kinds of things that, as you give them, give you more, right? And that's like one of the beauties of Jesus's miracles where he's giving, but there's always more there. By giving a gift of a hug or a kiss, you both have something more than you started with. By sharing a meal with somebody and having fellowship with them or understanding their brokenness and just like being with them, you both have more than what you had before. And so all of those gifts that we can give, um, that is how we can bless each other to go back to what we talked about last week. So there's, there's some things that I want to encourage you to think about. These are all kind of concepts that are closely related. Just pick one to do. Um, You can do all of them if you want to, but I encourage you to pick one to do for the next week and maybe try to help that incorporate it into your life. And the first thing that I want you to do is remind yourself in some way, shape, or form, whether that's picking a Bible verse that we've talked about over the last time, reading that book, um, choosing some sort of affirmation. Um, I used to think that affirmations were kind of hokey, but they really do, like over time, if you spend like three years with something that you truly, like maybe you don't believe as much, but as you like explore it and live with the question of like, maybe the question could be, am I blessed? You ask that question for three years, you're going to find out something about that, Um, but it takes time, right? Am I broken? I think many of us can answer that question, but what does that mean for how I move through life? Am I chosen? And then this last piece is what we've been talking about all of today, is that we're given for each other as gifts, and that's the beauty of life. That's how we become beautiful people and see the beauty inside of each other. And as you live these questions, we want to encourage you, you don't have to believe this, regardless of where you're at on your faith journey, whether here in the room or online. um, The church at its best is a place where you can ask these questions in community. That's why we are set up in a way that we talk about exploring faith and finding community and experiencing God's outlandish love. That's what we're here for. So talk with some people, uh, go to refresh, get to know some people, find a group of people where you can ask those questions. Any of us are happy to walk through that. We are not perfect people. 
We don't have all the answers, but we can at least live the questions with you. And the second thing that I want to encourage you to do is that these are not, these are conditions to accept, not affirmations of what you have to prove. And the, a key to that is thinking about like, we are all fundamentally like just a little messed up, um, whether or not you've hidden yourself from that or not. But how does Jesus transform that aspect of our reality? And I hope as you ask the question, you'll be able to see that we are all chosen and blessed and given for each other. And that's a thing that we all have, as Jesus says, the, the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. But walking through life with Jesus and accepting or, or finding how Jesus transforms each of those realities, that changes how you move through life. Third thing, spend time with Jesus. Just understand how he gave his gifts to those around him, how, like, what his pace through life was. We did a great study with uh, my small group that talked about um, this question of, did Jesus hurry through his life? I don't know if you can find it. You tell me if you can find it in the Bible, but he didn't hurry through life. He spent time with people. Just the way he did things and the gifts that he gave can inform how we live our lives. And last, just practice giving the gift of your full Holy Spirit-engaged presence to those around you. Next time you're with your family or with a friend, pray before you go into that interaction that you're just fully present and giving the gift or, and accepting the gift that being present with somebody else can be. So going back to what we talked about earlier, the finite universe is dust and entropy. So that's one side of it, right? Like, does it matter? It doesn't matter is one version of it. But if you flip that around and you live in God's kingdom, each moment has meaning for him, you, and those around you. And I hope you walk away feeling like you can you don't have to do these things. Even when we mess up, God is still working, right? That was a song that we had last week. Even when we don't feel it, you can append. Even when we mess up, as long as we're focused on our faith, he's, he's always there for us regardless of what we're doing. But we have the opportunity to live in his kingdom, which is an infinitely better place, I would propose to you, than living without him. So one of the things that we can do as Jesus followers whenever we get together is remember that Jesus gave himself for us. And that's how you can spend time uh, with the Gospels is thinking about he did all of this for each of us. You and you and you and all of us. And so we're going to do communion together. This is terrible. Okay. Last time I couldn't get this open. Spoiler alert, this is the second time I've done communion. So hopefully this goes, we've gotten the thing out of the way. Uh, but when we get together as Jesus followers, one key thing that we can remind ourselves of, how we can remind ourselves of who he is and what he did for us is to do communion. And as others have done, we're going to do again this Sunday. And as we do this, please take time to reflect on how he was broken and given for us so that we can have a life that's truly life, that we can live in a world where the brokenness is not the end, where we can ask the question, is this an endless spiral? It's not. He came to set us free. And so please join me in communion today. So the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this 
whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. I'm going to pray for us. The band's going to come up. I hope you've all gotten something to think about, a question to live with over these last three weeks, um, a way out of a toxic thought. This is not the limit of toxic thoughts. There are many more that we can have, but I would propose to you that there are some answers, there's some ways out. So we're going to pray. God, thanks for our time together. We've had a couple of weeks thinking about how we feel like we're trapped, feel like we're stuck, feel like there isn't going to be anything better on the other side. And when we ask ourselves those questions, when we live with those answers, when we tell ourselves that those are the answers, that there's just no way out, it's no wonder that we end up hiding from it. We end up numbing ourselves to the pain that comes with that. We end up having broken relationships, we end up hurting ourselves and and knowing that we're not doing the things that we could for ourselves. We know that you don't want that for us. You actively want to be healing us and giving us hope. That's why you came. That's why you came and gave yourself for us. That's why you came and broke the power of sin and darkness and death over our lives. So God, as we move through these next few weeks, as we think about what communion means, as we, as we live with the questions that we each have um, in our own individual circumstances in our lives, Lord, be with us. Help us speak into each other's lives to be that blessing, to give a blessing, to take a moment and say, I see what you're doing. I see how much pain you're in. I'm, I'm here for you. Or you did this thing and it was so amazing and such an affirmation of faith. God, give us the words to speak. Give us the presence of mind, the presence of heart, the presence of of spirit to be your people and to accept the gifts that you've given to us. I have something to pray that all of us take another step in faith over these next few weeks. In your name we pray.